Welcome everyone to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through his word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in the show around the world, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate every single one of you. And now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode on the Living Parables podcast. I am so thrilled that you are joining me today, and I'm so grateful that you are on this journey and this path with me. So, my dear brothers and sisters, we have had some very incredible studies thus far on Season 4 of the Living Parables podcast, and I hope and pray that your soul is edified and sanctified more and more because of them. And just to be aware of things that nothing has changed, nothing is different. We are here to serve you, to teach you, to admonish you, to encourage you, just as Christ instituted the church to be. And as a perfect segue, that is our episode for today. The importance of church. Far too many people today have deserted the church. Once COVID hit, churches decided to go online and they decided to go live. And some today are still not meeting together as the body of Christ. It is all strictly done online. And that is not how God intended it. Too many people today that profess to be believers do not even go to church at all. They think that they can be the church on their own. They think that they don't need the church. And they have the mentality and the attitude that whatever the church offers, I can get from the comforts of my own home. Far too many people are sitting under those umbrellas. And I got news for you, my dear brothers and sisters. If that is you, you need to repent and get back into church. And let me just say this about a church, if you're wanting my humble advice, is that you need to find a church that professes Christ as Lord. They are strictly Bible-based. They preach the gospel. They exposit the word of God and that their foundation is in line with what is in the word of God. You will see churches that proclaim to be churches. However, they are false churches. If you look at their doctrines, if you look at their mission statements, if you look at their foundations of faith or whatever it is they call it, you will see if you look hard enough whether they are truly a church or a false church. You have to be so careful when you are selecting a church. It needs to be on the foundations and the teachings and commands of Christ and Christ alone. It's not about a rock concert. It's not about the warm and fuzzies. It's not about a preacher that goes up there and tells jokes and it's not about funny stories and feel good sermons. Tell me what the word of God says. 
Tell me how I can live a life that is a living sacrifice to my God. Tell me how to walk in obedience. Tell me what the Lord loves. Tell me what the Lord hates so that I do not do those things. Yet too many people today do not have that attitude. Church is an inconvenience. If church is a five-minute drive, they will not do so. Yet we have people in other countries who will walk days just to go to church for a few hours and then have to walk days back. Isn't that sad? There was a viral photo. I believe it was in the Philippines. I could be wrong. But a church was filled with two feet of water, yet people were still standing, they were worshiping, praying, and they were honoring the Lord in the church. Because if the church was destroyed, that's not the church. The building is not the church. The people, the people of God whose Lord and Master and Savior is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells within them. That is the church. So what I have to share with you today are several reasons of the importance of church. And before we go any farther, we are going to start looking at the background as to what the church is, when it was established, who is ahead, and what are we. So the first thing is church in the Greek is composed of two Greek words together, which mean that it is called out from the world for God. It also means an assembly. So from the Greek, we know that we are the ones that are called out from this world for God. Do you understand that part? We are called out from this world, we are sanctified from this world. We're set apart for God, not for ourselves. That's why the Bible says we no longer live for ourselves. And we are an assembly. We assemble together. That's what makes up the church. And too many times people get confused. They say, Nay, I have to go to church and pray. No, you are the church. Remember, Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman. She thought she had to go to Jerusalem to, to worship God. And Jesus said, there is coming a time where you will worship in spirit and in truth. It's everywhere. The Holy Spirit lives within you. So when you gather together with believers, that is the church. And one question people have asked is, when did the church actually begin? Well, the church began on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover when Jesus died and rose again. The word church first appeared in Matthew 16, when Jesus tells Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The rock here is the statement Peter had made, not Peter himself. That's what some people, I'm not going to pick on them, but 
the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church believes that Jesus was talking about Peter here. No, it's Peter's statement about Christ. And that statement was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's found in verse 16 on Matthew chapter 16. The truth about Jesus is the bedrock of the church, the foundation that has flourished for over 2,000 years. Everyone who makes that truth the foundation of his or her own life becomes a member of Jesus' church. Okay? Jesus' words, I will build my church, was a foretelling of what was about to happen when he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers. Jesus still had to undergo the cross and experience the resurrection. Although the disciples understood in part the fulfillment of all Jesus had come to do had not yet been accomplished. After his resurrection, Jesus would not allow his followers to begin the work he had given them to make disciples of all nations until the Holy Spirit had come. The book of Acts in its entirety details the beginning of the church and its miraculous spread through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you get an opportunity, study out the book of Acts. It shows you the church and its beginning. I'll tell you what, you will not be disappointed. And a couple last important details about the church that I really want to emphasize here, and this is probably of the most importance of the background of the church, is that first off, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. So I would like you to listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, which says, this is talking about Jesus here, He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. Also, I want you to listen to Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. Jesus is the head. He has the authority. And far too often do we forget those things. And not only is he the head, but he is the one and the only one who purchased the church. And how did he purchase it? He purchased it with his blood. Listen to Acts 20, 28. Listen to this. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And lastly, going back to Ephesians here, Ephesians 5, 24 and 25, listen to this. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Here it is. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Jesus Christ purchased the church with his blood and he gave himself up for the church. Powerful. And the last bit of background is that we, yes, you, me, and all the believers in the world are individual members of the body of Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and then verse 27. Verse 12 says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, 
and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And listen to verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So that is the background for this lesson today. And we went over what the church means in the Greek, where it began, about Jesus Christ and who he is. And I'll tell you, far too many times have we forgotten the authority of Jesus Christ in the church. So with that being said, we have in our study today, we have seven reasons on why the church is so important. Seven reasons. Number one, we have fellowship with other believers. We have fellowship with other believers. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in the 25th verse. It says, Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in the beginning of this episode, I was really hitting hard the importance of attending church in person. And you know, sometimes you hear people talk and they have their own opinions and their own viewpoints, but that is not important. It's only important if their viewpoints are biblically based right out of scripture. So I wasn't saying that in a way that this is what Nate's viewpoint is. Now, no one cares about that. I don't care about that. I only want to know what the word of God says. So Nate may say, oh, you should be attending church. But if it's not in the Bible, then who cares what you have to say? However, it's very crystal clear in Hebrews 10, 25. If you are forsaking the assembly together with fellow brothers and sisters, you, my friend, are in the wrong. You are in the wrong. Church is not something that you come up with yourself and you create. Church isn't what you make it. It's what Jesus established on that day of Pentecost. It's what he has built up and established throughout Scripture. It's not up to you to decide that. And yet far too many people today do that. They think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I can get, I can get out of church what I do here at my own house. No, you cannot. You cannot. And you know what? You're not just hurting yourself, but you're hurting other brothers and sisters in Christ because you have talents, gifts, and abilities that the church desperately needs. And to not be a part of that assembly of the saints is truly selfish. I know what you're thinking. That Wow. Shots fired, right? Yeah, you betcha. Because the church is hurting. The church is hurting right now. It's reeling. And I'll tell you, you need to be a part of it because you are important. You are so important. Do not forsake the assembly together. And it says, 
as is the habit of some. Is that you? Is that you? Because right after it says, as is the habit of some, it says, but encouraging one another. You can't encourage people if you're selfishly sitting at home. You can't do that. And I'm sorry, but this drives me up a wall. Yes, church is not perfect. Yes, people are broken. Yes, there are arguments. Yes, there are bickering. But if you're not there to actually be what God has called the church to be, you're just it's just as guilty. And I really want to be encouraging right now, but boy, if you're sitting at home and not participating in the church and not being the church with the church, you're not really of the church. It doesn't get any more concise and crystal clear than that. So which side are you on? And I, I really want this, this fellowship part, number one here, to be encouraging and uplifting, but too many people are just tapping out. I don't want anything part of the do with the church. Then you're part of the problem. It's time to wake up. It's not what you want. Because Jesus himself at the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. God's will is for you to be a part of the church. And to deny that is to disobey God. Not what Nate says, what God says. I'm just here as an instrument to tell you what God says in Scripture. That's it. I have my own personal views on things, but they are biblically based. They're biblically based. And so with those things, my dear brothers and sisters, we have a choice to make. We either obey or we disobey. Now, let's look at a sub-point of fellowship with believers, Romans 12.10. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. So let me ask you this, how can you be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor if you're at home? Can't do it. That's why it's so critical for that fellowship. We must be devoted to one another. This is a command. We are to be devoted and honor one another. Let's look at uh, sub point number two. Romans 15, 14 says this, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to also admonish one another. We are to admonish or instruct one another. How can you do that? Again, if you are not part of the church. So we must be devoted to and honor one another. Sub point number one. Sub point number two, we must admonish or instruct one another. Sub point number three, we must encourage one another. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. Just as you also are doing. If this is not convicting you right now, I don't know what will. These are the words of the living God instructing us 
on how we are to be the church. You cannot encourage one another. You can't build up one another without the church. You can't be separate from the church and do these things. Yes, there are people that you may know. You may text and call and even have breakfast with and have Bible studies with. That, yes, you can encourage one another and build them up there. But you're supposed to be that instrumental force, instrumental member of the church with a body of believers. And you can't do that on an island. And subpoint number four is found in 1 John 3.11, which says this, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is probably the greatest of all reasons why we should fellowship with one another is because we are to love one another. We are to love one another. I'm going to add on to this point here. And we read Hebrews 10.25, but I want to read one verse behind that because it's so important. Hebrews 10.24 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. How can you stimulate one another to love and good deeds or good works if you're not part of the church? And where else can you find fellowship like this that God intended? It is so crucial to our walk, to our edification, to our sanctification, that we are to fellowship one another. That is a big reason why the church is so important. And let me just say this before we go to point number two. No man is an island, and no one is above God's established church. No one. If you're having a hard time finding a church, I'll tell you what. My heart goes out to you, but that doesn't mean you give up searching after two tries. Pray, pray, and pray. Let's go to point number two on why church is so important. It's where we use our spiritual gifts. It's where we use our spiritual gifts. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Except this time, we're going to go through verses 14 through 30. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a load here as far as reading goes. So I want you to bear with me. We're going to read 14 through 30. I want you to listen very, very carefully to what I'm about ready to read to you. Listen. It says, For the body is not one member, but many. Just like I said, we are not an island. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? 
but now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? <laughs> I think we made our point. And, and what are we trying to hammer the point home here? The point is, we all have different valuable spiritual gifts. And we must be very, very careful to adhere to verses 25 and 26. So I'm going to go back there and reemphasize this point because I think we get so fixated on the gifts and the abilities and all these things. And let me just say this right now, and this is probably for a different study, but I wanted to make this point known because you heard some of these things in these verses, and I want to make this well known. That the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the gift of miracles have ceased. And so you might be curious about those in detail. However, I'm not going to address that today, but I will address those in future episodes. So I'd ask that you please be patient with me. So with that being said, let's go back and, like I said earlier, and re-emphasize verses 25 and 26. So 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26 says, So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. It all goes back to that selfless attitude found in Philippians chapter 2. It's humility. If you're humble, when other people are rejoicing, you're going to rejoice with them. If you're humble, if they're mourning, you're going to mourn with them. It's that simple. I know there are people in the church that have gifts and talents and abilities that you wish you had. I wish I was a really good singer. I am not. I am great in the car because I can't hear myself. I think you get what I'm saying. There are different talents and abilities that I wish I had. However, we cannot let that jealousy 
go any farther than I wish I had that. That even shouldn't be our mindset. That shouldn't even cross our mind. We should be thanking God that we have people in our church that have those different talents and abilities. Because if everybody had the same talent and ability that I had, the church wouldn't be what it would be. It would it wouldn't even grow. So that's why we need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to admonish one another. And you know what? We need to use our spiritual gifts. So let's go to point number three on the importance of church. Is That's where we go to be more grounded in our faith. Now, I have several scriptures here that I'm going to go through. And you're going to see what we're talking about. So I want you to go with me to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And it says this, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I know that was a mouthful, but we are to be in the church to be equipped for the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ. That's where we become more grounded. Now let's look at Colossians 2, 6 through 8. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, or live in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Those two scriptures in Ephesians and in Colossians, does that sound familiar to you? It should, because we did book studies on them. Then that's awesome how we go back to that. So, we go to church to become more firmly rooted and built up in Christ and established in our faith. I want to take you now to 2 Peter 3, 18. Very, very powerful verse. One of my favorite verses out there. I know I say that a lot, but it truly is. So 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We go to church to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Everybody in the church can help edify you and sanctify you. You may be in a Bible study where you might be the youngest person in the crowd. And you may have the least amount of knowledge of Christ in that group. And it's important that you have people in the church that have gone through the fire, that have gone through the tribulations, that have studied the scriptures and studied the scriptures. And that is how 
in a, a way that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can learn from other people. Yes, you can study the Bible on your own. And matter of fact, I would highly encourage that. Please be doing that. But that's another way. That is absolutely another way that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And now let's look at Jude 20 through 21. Matter of fact, we just used this scripture not too long ago in previous episodes. Jude 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. My dear brothers and sisters, this is why church is so important, because we need to build ourselves up, and this is where we do it, in and on our most holy faith. And we pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so important. It's so important. So point number three is that is why we go to be more grounded in our faith. Let's look at point number four. It's where we observe the Lord's Supper. So why is church important? It's where we go to observe the Lord's Supper. Please turn with me now to 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. And we can use a, a multitude of scriptures talking about the Lord's Supper here. But 1 Corinthians 11 is so powerful so direct, so precise on what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. So real quick, let's go ahead and look at these few verses. Starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper and sang, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I'll also add on to this, we also proclaim the Lord's resurrection every Sunday as well. That's where we go. And that's what we do. We observe the Lord's Supper. And give me a little bit of a teaser here. This is also going to be a future episode as well. And I'm not going to hang here too, too much, but let me just say this about the Lord's Supper. It is a holy and sacred time to commune with the Lord God himself, with brothers and sisters, around the world doing the exact same thing on the Lord's Day. That, my friends, is very, very powerful. But it is a very special, unique moment. It's a holy, divine moment where you are to be reflective, to look in that mirror, to self-examine yourself in your walk with the Lord. And I'll just give you a little bit of a preview on what I do before and after communion. Before communion, I usually pray, and I usually try to reflect on the things that I've done in the past week, and I usually focus on my sins, because 
sin is a very, very ugly, evil thing that just damages your relationship with God. And as you know, we are all human beings and we all fall short of the glory of God. And as I reflect upon myself, I just always find myself completely unworthy to be called a follower of Jesus Christ and a child of God. And I'll just say that in the Lord's Supper, as I'm reflecting upon that, I always ask God to please forgive me of all of my sins that I have committed against you. And I really try to get specific on the things that I sin. And I'll tell you, when I'm praying, I ask God that he would please forgive me of my sins, make me clean so that I can come to his table pure. Because I don't want him to sin against the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't want to be guilty of that. And I really try to visualize what Jesus went through on the cross for my sins. And a piece of advice I will give you is don't ever let the cross of Christ become ho-hum. Don't ever let it be ritualistic. Don't take it for granted and don't take lightly of that moment because too many people eat and drink the Lord's judgment upon themselves because they think it's just a part of their service that this is a church thing I'm involved in and it's a social club. And, you know, I'm not really a believer in Jesus Christ. I say I am, but I don't really live that life out so I can take the Lord's Supper if I want to. And that is highly dangerous. I have tried to tell people over and over and over again to not partake of that unless they fully examine themselves. And unless they're a believer in Jesus Christ, do not take it if you are not of those things. So I would encourage you also to study out the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. I would highly encourage you to do that. So with that being said, let's go to point number five. We're almost done. The importance of church is for prayer. It's for prayer. And in my opinion, it is so undertaught and underutilized. And we talked about this in previous episodes, but far too often we only pray to God when we really, really need something or we're hurting for something. And that's not what we are called to be. So I want to take you to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, which says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get any more clear than that. And with that, I have three back-to-back-to-back verses here on the importance of prayer. So the first two are going to be in Acts. The first one, Acts one fourteen, says... These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Again, devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 6.4 But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And last verse we're going to use is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. 
Let me just say this as we kind of wrap up point number five. I know that was pretty quick, but prayer is synonymous with every aspect of the function of the church. Let me say that one more time. Prayer is synonymous with every aspect of the function of the church. It ought to be done before any activity, any preaching, any decisions, any actions, any songs, any worship, anything. Prayer must be the drivetrain of the church. And I'll tell you what, the more the church prays, the stronger it is. The more the church prays, the stronger it is. Let's look at point number six. The importance of church is that it is a place where those that are of need are taken care of. So point number six, why the church is important. It is a place where those in need are taken care of. Please turn with me to James chapter 1, 27. So James 1, 27. This is what it says. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Here it is. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The church is a place of refuge, healing, and service to those who are in need. We minister to those who are in need. And in my opinion, the church has lost that. The church has lost that. We'd rather receive money through tithes, gifts, and offerings and get rich in internally rather than taking care of the homeless, the widowed, or the orphan. And I'm not trying to throw shade at a mega preacher here, but I'm kind of I'm kind of gonna do that. Back in 2017, when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, Joel Osteen had an opportunity to open the doors to those who were in need. Yet he refused to let people into his church. And I use air quotes around church because it's not a real church. And ironically enough, initially after he refused, he was blasted a huge onslaught of social media condemnation. And because of that, he then said, oh, hey, I have no problem with that. I love We love the people. Let them in. Yet I guarantee that if there was no social media push, they wouldn't open their doors. And why am I just picking on him? I'm not just picking on him. I'm picking on any church that does not open their doors to those in need. Far too many times, and one of the criticisms of the church is that they just want your money. And you know what? Sometimes I see where they're coming from. I, I, I admit it. I've seen it with my own eyes. We're focusing on the pews. They're focusing on the stained glass windows. I even watched a, a preacher one time, which I use that word loosely with this person because it was on TV. They had a literally had a golden throne chair that was probably the size of my living room as far as height goes. And they were sitting on it, perfect hair, 
perfect makeup on. Uh, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of clothing on, and they had no Bible in their hand. If you sold that little throne that person had, you could feed a family on the streets for a month, maybe even two months. And we wonder why everything is backwards in this country with our church. Because the church has lost its its vision that God has established. We deviate from his word and we wonder why this happens. We cannot be that way, my dear brothers and sisters. If, if you are a person in the church, and let's just say for a minute, you're not a leader, okay? You're not a leader. You, you think you're a nobody. You're wrong. You are a somebody. You can minister to those who are in need. You can take care of those people. Go to the people, the leadership in the church, and say, you know what? We need to do something here. We need to be a part of church because we just read in James 1.27 that command. And I and I hate the word religion. And that's the beautiful thing about God. He has an answer for everything. Okay, you want to know what religion truly is? Okay, here's what it is. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. You want to know what it is? You want to know what real religion is? Here it is. Visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's what it is right there. There is that word religion. It's defined in James 1.27. Yet, do we visit orphans and widows? Do we take care of them? Do we take care of our homeless? And you know, in Scripture, it says that God is a father to the fatherless. He is near to the brokenhearted. And as his children, we must have the heart for those in need, just as God the Father does. And so often we just don't. And my heart breaks because sometimes I am guilty of that myself. But as his children... We must have a heart for those in need, just as God the Father does. Let that be said of us, rather than hanging our heads in shame, wishing we had done something. And finally, point number seven. The importance of church is that this is where the Great Commission is obeyed, and the gospel is preached. Please turn with me to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And you have heard me talk about this many a times. And it is so crucial today because this is the mission statement. This is the heart of of the church and these are the last words that Jesus said to his disciples to his apostles before he ascended into heaven so Matthew 28 18 through 20 says this and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. We 
as the church are supposed to be a beacon of light pointing the world to Christ. Too often now, Christ's name isn't even in the name of the church. And a cross is hard to come by, even on the outside of a building or the inside. Churches have strayed away from Christ, but you, yes, you, I'm talking to you, you be the church. We are to be imitators of God. We are to be faithful, obedient children to our Lord, Master, and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I have a wonderful, wonderful image that I want to share with you found in the book of Revelation. It's found in the seventh chapter, verses 9 through 12. You want to get a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like, what the true church is supposed to look like? Here it is. Revelation 7, 9 through 12 says this. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is what the church is supposed to look like. That is what the church is supposed to sound like. Is that you? And is that me? We are the church, the people, you individually. We are all the church. I would encourage you today, if you are not following any of these points, if you are not a part of the church, repent and come back to where you belong. And so with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.